we find that 87% are likely to return to facilities and venues if um, there is a touchless security screening and 85% likely uh, to return if there's some sort of walk-through body temperature measurement, which has been you know, in, in the news a lot as well. Yeah, so essentially what they're saying is, I'm concerned about the public health risk around COVID, do some sort of mitigation or screening around that, which is the temperature screening. I am concerned about physical violence and mass shootings, do some screening of weapons to do that, and that will help give me some comfort that I can come back and return. Welcome to the Digital Threshold Podcast, where we explore all the ways modern venues and facilities are reimagining their arrival experience. We have a very special guest today, Erica Parker. Erica comes to us from the Harris Poll, and we've recently been doing some work with her. Erica, can you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. Thank you for having me today. Um, I am Erica Parker. I'm a managing director at the Harris Poll. If you are unfamiliar with the Harris Poll, we are a research-based consultancy that works with leaders across a variety of industries to provide them with trusted insights to help make key business decisions, avoid risk, and maximize potential growth. Uh, Since its inception of the Harris Poll in 1963 by the pollster uh, Lou Harris, we've been pulsing public opinion on key issues that impact society and monitoring consumer trends uh, for over 55 years. I'm really excited to share some of the data we have, you know, broadly about um, COVID and some trends we've seen over the past six months, as well as the work that we did in partnership with Evolve. Great. So I've been having a lot of conversations with people like all of you, uh, venue operators, heads of security, guest services, schools, workplaces, uh, since COVID hit, since March. And one thing is clear is that the future is not clear. It's very dynamic, it's changing quickly. So we decided to get some data, to get some ground truth, to reach out to you and get some information and data that we can share, share about your concerns, concerns that consumers have, how they might wanna come back, what that environment is like when they come back, that helps inform you as you think about reopening your venues, your schools, your workplaces and your different locations. And so, uh, Erica, maybe you could talk a little bit about the methodology and the segments and the approach we took to get some of this uh, data to inform our team here. Absolutely. So we conducted a quantitative survey online. Um, It was from September 18th to October 3rd. We interviewed a total of approximately 1,500 U.S. adults across three key segments who really have a personal stake in the security screening process. And that experience. Uh, Those three groups were we had approximately 700 parents of school-aged children, approximately 500 workers who work in large factories, warehouses, or distribution centers, and approximately 500 folks who had attended an event at a ticketed venue in uh, 2019. This represents approximately 60% of the U.S. population, And of course, with any type of work that we do, we take a lot of care to ensure that the folks we are speaking with are representative of the target audiences that we we want to measure um, sentiments uh, among. So to ensure that representative sample, we, we made sure to balance on known demographics like education, age by gender, race, ethnicity, region, and income, and to correct for any propensity to be a part of an online panel. 
So that's the methodology from the Evolve work that we did. Let's just spend a few minutes on the segments themselves. We looked at um, workplaces, we looked at ticketed venues, and we talked to folks that uh, are in schools or are sending their kids to schools. And this is a lot of the heartbeat of, of the economy of the U.S. Um, in the case of uh, schools, we've all seen uh, states and districts sort of go up and down in terms of remote learning, hybrid learning, or in-person learning. Uh, it's a very important topic in terms of getting our kids back into the classroom and, and, and learning in, in that environment. Uh, in the case of workplaces, you mentioned we've talked to some of the factories and warehouses and distribution centers. These people and these organizations are moving essential goods through our economy. It includes people in the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry that's getting PPE out there. It includes people that is moving food around uh, and other essential goods and services. So this is a very critical component of the economy. And then the, the third is ticketed venues. So this is where we go out to enjoy ourselves, to get a little break from the day-to-day. -day. By and large, a lot of these venues have been closed down, unfortunately. Um, but both the venues themselves and, of course, all of us as fans, as guests, as patrons want to get back there. And so I'm really interested to sort of dig into this a little bit more. One of the findings that I found to be very intriguing is that the pandemic and, and COVID is very high on everybody's list. It's very high on the concerns that they have. But a mass shooting event, a mass casualty event is essentially equally high in their concerns. So although people wanna make sure that they are safe from the public health risk that comes, they also wanna make sure when they go back out that there is a safety around the physical security risk. And I just found that that continues to be a, a concern of so many people to be really an important finding and to ensure that when we talk to others that we convey that as well so that they don't tip the balance too much in just focusing on the pandemic and they continue to maintain a focus on physical security and other aspects as well. I certainly agree. You know, I think we've seen a lot of interactions of different crises over this six month time period. And that's important to think about that, that holistic environment that we're operating in right now. Right. And you've done a lot of research and polling uh, of, the, of the consumers about the pandemic uh, in general uh, you know, before you know, we, we started working together. Can you talk about some of the findings you've seen sort of early on and throughout the, the last six or eight months? And, and what, are, what are people feeling out there? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting as we've watched these numbers and trends unfold. So at the very beginning of the pandemic in mid-March, we actually decided to launch uh, a weekly tracking study, we call it the COVID tracker, and, and we share out the data from that as a public service. Um, and we've really been tracking public sentiment towards a, a range of topics, you know, as, as they come up, what is timely and in the news at the time, you know, anything from the economy to healthcare to jobs, education as the crisis continued to unfold. And since the beginning, we've actually been tracking different fear curves, as we've been calling them. And so since lockdown, um, you know, the fear of dying from the virus has, has hovered around approximately 50% for most of that period um, since we started measurement in mid-March. And it was really interesting that at first, in the very beginning, national fear was actually perceived as irrational. 54% had felt that way. But then it, it quickly flipped to being seen as sensible. And now around 7 in 10, actually 72% of Americans see the fear around the virus as a sensible. Um, but other fears have arisen during this time period. Uh, you know, fear of losing their jobs. 
has really often flip-flopped um, back and forth with the fear of dying, that both are actually currently at 52%. And what listeners today may be interested in is actually the fear of returning to public activity, which is even greater than the fear of dying with 70% um, citing that fear. And, you know, in, in the work that we've been doing across a variety of different industries, you know, we've, we've spoken with many businesses who are trying to figure out just how to tackle this fear and help to restore public confidence in these particular activities. You know, we also find that emotions are high and, and range, you know, across the board. Uh, folks are feeling thankful and appreciative. Um, you know, 71%, 67% feel that way. You know, a lot of that has to do with now we have some maybe more downtime to spend with our families and, and all of that. But then it's mixed in with feelings of, of anger, 51% expressing that feeling, having cabin fever and feeling lonely. And this range of emotions we see even more apparent uh, with, with parents right, who are feeling grateful potentially for the time with their family, but, but are feeling overwhelmed, maybe as they're trying to balance online school, you know, and, and also annoyed, maybe it's too much togetherness, who knows. <laughs> and we actually see these same fears and emotions in the study that we conducted for Evolve. Um, in the questions we asked around concerns that these individuals have around the biggest issues facing the country today, so you had alluded to this a bit, Anil, um, you know, of, of those salient issues facing the U.S. right now, concern is high across the board for um, COVID-19 and the pandemic response. 58% said they are very concerned about that. But then also concern is quite high for protest-related civil unrest street crime and mass shootings, which all hover around, you know, 50% of the folks we spoke with, feeling that they are very concerned about those. We also asked about crime in the U.S. and if it's increased, decreased, or stayed the same. And 71% of those we spoke with felt that crime in the U.S. is it has increased. And even a third of those folks felt that it had increased even in their own neighborhoods. And this feeling is even more pronounced when we looked, you know, at it by region or urbanicity. So in, in urban areas and in the Northeast, this feeling is even more pronounced that, that crime is up in their area. But can I pause there for a second, Erica? So sure. people feel like crime's higher this year than it was last year. And just to go back to your setup of the, the poll, this is not an urban poll, right? This poll is, let's just recast it. It's representative of the population. So this is across the U.S., rural, suburban, urban, north, south, east, west, right? This is a truly representative picture right. of concern right. across the U.S. That's, mm -hmm. that's tremendous. That's really concerning. It really is. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with all, all of those, those feelings and the different crises that have all intersected between the pandemic, protests around racial issues, uh, et cetera, is all sort of bubbling up to those feelings. Interesting. So as we were talking about, though, certainly, you know, competing with these fears is also some, some pent up demand, right? People are missing some of the activities that they got to do before the crisis came uh, around. And, and the longer, you know, whatever level of shutdown each state or area is in, 
the need to continue to limit large group interactions, or even now we're seeing, right, the tightening of certain restrictions, the threat of um, shutdowns in, in some um, states, again, beginning to crop up, the more people are missing these activities. You know, 71% say that they miss dining out at a restaurant and bar, 55% miss attending events like concerts, theaters, and sporting events, um, and even 46% miss traveling on an airplane. And with missing these activities, right, the more they want to return to that, that normal. So when it's okay to return to normal, the intent to attend a concert or sporting event, we've seen that rise in the six-month period from 12% to 20%, the intent to be able to go on a vacation or travel, going from 24% to 38%. And, and what we've seen is really that we've asked people, you know, how long will it take for you to return to certain activities? Is it, you know, within the next month, up to three months, up to six months, et cetera. And, you know, people's response to that in terms of the time it will take for them to return seems to correlate with distance and familiarity. So they're, they're much more likely to return to things like going to dinner or the office, you know, some things that might be more compulsory, like going to work, compared to uh, attending a sporting event or flying on a plane. Um, only a third of folks or a little over a third of folks said that they would do those things up to three months after the government says the virus has sort of flattened. You know, and, and so it's clear with that kind of data that it's a bigger lift to get people to ticketed events, right? Venue and facility managers are going to need to do some work to uh, restore public confidence and, and get people back to these activities and feel comfortable doing these activities. Yeah, we've seen some of that too. I mean, the initial places that opened were outdoor places. It was easier to maintain distancing. Obviously, you have the, the airflow of being in an outdoor environment. Those tended to open earlier. Then some of the locations, like a workplace where you could have 25% of the people in, not 100% in, you can spread desks out or not use desks. Um, similar dynamic in schools and in things like museums. So a few mm -hmm. weeks ago on the show, we had the American Museum of Natural History and the Met and the and they were on talking about, you know, how they've reopened and the protocols they've had. And it's certainly been a very different scenario. Um, but I also uh, talked to a lot of folks in the performing arts and entertainment and sports worlds. Um, we've certainly seen what the pro sports have been working towards. They're trying to get sort of some fans in, but it's a challenge. Uh, it's a real challenge. Absolutely. I mean, on, on a personal note, like, you know, I some venues here locally in Northern Virginia where I live, um, had like drive-in concerts and things just to, you know, bring some revenue in and, and keep the facilities being used. But certainly it becomes a challenge as we enter winter and we can't do things outdoors um, that we've been able to do to maintain social distancing and, um, you know, follow some of the health risk mitigation strategies we've been, you know, told to follow. Right. Yeah, it definitely seems regional and state-based, obviously different states have different protocols and opening up or shutting down. And, you know, in the Northeast, just in the last day or two, we've seen them tightening up, right? Restaurants closing mm -hmm. at 10 p.m. in New York and the New Jersey and, uh, instituted some recent changes as well. And then if you look at the South, if you look at Florida, which be, also due to the weather, um, we were talking to some of the entertainment uh, folks we work with down there. And one of the performing arts centers is creating an, an outdoor venue. So they've created pods outside, it's outdoors. Right, it enables them to get the, the artists back and to get um, patrons and people to come sort of listen to it. And 
you know, I, as I talk to people, it's really important to have these outlets. You mentioned it earlier, people feeling cramped and, and pent up. Part of it is getting out, but part of it is uh, just enjoying, you know, the, the cultural institutions, right? Whether it's the arts or sports or whatever it is to get out. So people are trying to get really creative about how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and certainly those who are becoming creative are, are, are being rewarded, right? With, with consumers coming back and, and, and paying for those activities. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it takes to come back. So I talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, I mentioned it that there's a lot of concerns. You talked a lot about the anxieties, some of those anxieties about bad, bad, bad things that can happen. The equal concern that of around a pandemic and around an active shooter, a mass shooting event, a physical security event, right? So in some of the information I was looking at, it looked like four out of five people are equally concerned uh, about those two things, which to me says, yes, the pandemic's getting a lot of the news, but they don't forget about their own personal safety as well. And I think some of that ties to the information you were sharing with us earlier. So let's talk about some of the safety measures that people are doing, are putting in place, um, and that people, consumers are looking for as they go out. Can you share with us some of the findings you've had around that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've actually asked a lot about different, you know, measures people are putting in place to encourage people to come back to different venues. Um, and certainly, you know, some of the things that we've seen that are that have become common practice in gyms, doctors' offices, et cetera, are, are things that consumers are looking for, the public is looking for to be able to return. So there's there's obviously some of the the sort of sanitation and COVID related practices like more frequent cleaning and sanitizing is expected by 90% of the folks we spoke with. Also the presence of hand sanitizer stations, plexiglass shields in, in close proximity areas and social distancing floor markings. Um, but also some, some newer innovations from both a security perspective as well as um, a health perspective are, you know, we find that 87% are likely to return to facilities and venues if um, there is a touchless security screening and 85% likely uh, to return if there's some sort of walk-through body temperature measurement, which has been, you know, in, in the news a lot as well. Yeah, so essentially what they're saying is, I'm concerned about the public health risk around COVID, do some sort of mitigation or screening around that, which is the temperature screening. I am concerned about physical violence and mass shootings, do some screening of weapons to do that. And that will help give me some comfort that I can come back and return. Absolutely. We, we have a number of um, cultural institutions, museums and, and various places like that. And a lot of them are putting more screening in place to um, ensure the safety and security of their visitors and also their staff. Um, and what they're recognizing is having people come into these museums and enjoy them is a very important part of taking the anxiety level down, but they need to do it the right way. So what else have you seen in terms of coming back and what consumers are looking for? Well, I know, like we said, the, the concern for personal security is, is there as well. And, you know, we were asking about some of the traditional ways. Do we want to talk a little bit about um, some of the traditional security methods and, you know, what people think about those, but sort of in contrast with? Yeah. 19 issues. You know, when we ask these folks who have a stake in personal security screening process, how necessary metal detector security screening is in schools, workplaces, or ticketed venues, 
We did find that metal detector security screening is, is viewed as, as necessary when people are congregating. 82% felt that way. It obviously provides a sense of, of safety for those folks, and they feel it helps detect obvious threats. But they also see the shortcomings of this, this process. Also, um, you know, in, in light of the pandemic, it's, it's some things that they're not willing to accept when they consider social distancing guidelines. I know for sure there's been times when I've shown up at, you know, a, a restaurant or something and saw a long line and I absolutely turned around and left. Um, so the public feels that way as well. So if, if a security screening process is going to create crowds create long lines or you know requ requires their belongings to be touched they're not interested in that right and they they see those those as elements of um the the, the current security screening process you know anywhere from 67 percent to 79 percent say that describes the current process but you know 62 percent are not willing to accept that risk of of crowds um, in light of COVID. And, and, you know, Americans are seeing the difficulty in maintaining both proper security screening and social distancing. 75% of those we spoke with, you know, agree that most physical security screening systems make it impossible to socially distance while waiting in line. So that is certainly something that, um, you know, folks need to be aware of. They're concerned about these risks. They know some of the traditional technologies provide a level of prevention or, or, or protection. However, they don't want lines and they really like this concept of touchless screening. Although I'm very curious how many people actually know, truly know what it is. That means, right. I think a lot of it is they hear about other, they hear like about contactless pickup at a restaurant or store. They see you go into a restaurant and use the barcode. The, the, the aspect of, of touchless interactions has can come through in a lot of other parts. And I think they're extending that. What I hear is they're extending that to security as well, where they don't want somebody to uh, security uh, staff to be near you. They don't want them to be touching your bag to look inside. They don't want to hand one too close to you. They want to maintain a level of distance. That's right. I know. I know it is a bit of a sad state when you know someone maybe come after come, comes at you for a hug or something, and you're like, ah. But um, I mean, that is true. That is how we're how we're feeling now. And so certainly, contactless as a, a phrase is very appealing to consumers and is is what you know is bringing people to certain behaviors like like you said with with food delivery and and you know I, I certainly as a consumer am, am impressed at times when I see creative ways that that companies have come up with that. So I do agree that they may not completely understand what, what contactless security screening means to them, but certainly if they're putting it in the frame of reference of other contactless um, services that they have now um, that really came out of the pandemic, you know, they get it and they say, yeah, that, that, that sounds like something I'd be game for. And then you touched on something else that I want to get more insight on, which is, um, when you were talking about screening, you mentioned lines, right? You actually mentioned your own sort of thinking around that. As we know, a lot of today's traditional screening approaches, you know, you wait in line to sort of get through. It's just the way they are. Um, how are people feeling about that? I mean, I've, I've seen um, for people try to set up lines that are six feet apart. Certainly we saw it in, in, on election day, right? Many mm -hmm. voters were doing that. But I've seen a lot of places where it's difficult to do as well. 
So how are consumers in the U.S. feeling about standing in line to get in and do something they want to do? Yeah, I, I mean, I think consumers uh, and the public are, are wary of, of this. Um, and when you think about the intersection of, of COVID and, and metal detector screening and the fact that it can create long security lines, they're, they're not interested in that. So we found that 63% would not join the security line if they saw that people were not socially distancing. Um, certainly, you have that feeling of us as they're sort of really close behind you. You're not interested. Six, in- 60, 63, so six out of 10 people that yeah. show up to go into a venue, go into mm-hmm. a facility, they, six out of 10 of them say, I'm going to turn around and not go in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's astonishing. That's a huge number. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I certainly had conversations like that with my, with my friends about doing all that kind of planning and thinking before you even attend an event of like how many people will be there? What will the lines be like? What will that process look like? Absolutely. Yep. You, you plan for this. So, so you buy a ticket to go to an event. The event probably has 25% or 50% of the people in capacity. <laughs> Maintain distancing. You wear your mask coming up there, right? You hand sanitize. You're very careful. You're excited to go in and see this concert uh, or this show. Mm-hmm. And then you have this line and six out of 10 people turn around and go home because it's not worth the risk, right? Mm-hmm. It's not worth the risk. That's exactly right. Yep. It's not worth all, all the hard work that the venue did to sanitize the location, to get people to come back in, to get the artists to come back in. Um, all of that, you know, only four of 10 people are going to walk in through the line. More than half are not going to do it. That's yeah, it. That's- it is a strong, compelling number there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and even still, you know, we, we asked about whether they thought that venues were doing enough to be able to regulate or, or would do enough to regulate the lines leading into these events. And uh, most around a similar number, 69% would question it, whether those venues are doing enough to regulate those lines. So back to that whole sort of restoring confidence and faith that, you know, different venues and facilities will address those lines and and create that level of comfort for consumers will be important uh, in bringing folks back. Well, so this, this, this idea that you brought up earlier about touchless screening, touchless anything or touchless everything maybe is a good way to look at it, right? Touchless everything. But touchless everything should include touchless screening as well to eliminate, if you can truly eliminate that line and get people going through without being touched, right? Mm -hmm. So 10 out of 10 people coming will go into the venue. Right, right. Great. Any other insight um, on things that venues should do as they as they think about reopening? We've covered a lot of ground here, but any anything else you want to share that you found in the fi- in the research? I do think there is a lot to restoring consumer confidence in this. It's it's also sometimes like seeing others do it and and being confident. You know, if you hear your friends have done that as well, or you've heard of others who have gone back and. Because sometimes the, you know, the perception could be worse than the reality, right? And, and you're playing this whole scenario in your head. But as you said, if the facility can only have 25% capacity, et cetera, if you actually experience it, it's not as bad as you've sort of worked it up in your head. Right. So one piece of recent news this week, which is hopeful, very hopeful and positive, I'd like to just get your perspective on is the vaccine. So there's been tremendous 
amount of discussion around vaccines. We've seen various um, them go through various stages, but Pfizer came out, you know, as we know, with their uh, early findings about a potential 90 percent effective rate. You know, that said, the, a lot of the experts talk about 70 percent of the population needs to be vaccinated or inoculated to have herd immunity. So, and we've seen various um, studies on the amount of people that will and will not be vaccinated. So um, what's your sense of this new news? I mean, there will be a vaccine at some point. We, we certainly believe it'll start sort of affecting people. Get, you know, they will be inoculated. But how do you see this playing mm-hmm. out in the next six to 12 months or so? Yeah, I mean, certainly as a, as a citizen, it is exciting and it helps maybe people feel like there might be an end to it. But it, it is important for us to think about what what will people's behaviors be around this? How quickly can the vaccine be rolled out to individuals? And, you know, there, there's plenty of health officials who have, have mentioned that we will still have to practice certain social distancing, mask wearing behaviors until we reach a certain number, right? So the, the end may not be as soon as we all think it might be, right? So we actually just did um, a study with um, STAT. They're, they're a healthcare-focused media outlet on this topic. And we interviewed you know, 2,000 of the general public um, at the end of October about the vaccine. And we found there, we were asking about sort of how likely they were to get a vaccine if it helps cut the risk by... 25%, 50%, um, And we found that six in 10 Americans said they are somewhat or very likely to get the COVID-19 vaccine if doing so would help them lower the risk of becoming infected by about half. And we actually found that even younger generations are more risk averse. So only 56% of those ages 18 to 34 were likely to get vaccinated if the shot would decrease their odds of being infected by half. So that still leaves a fairly, you know, large chunk of folks who who were not going to get vaccinated unless it guarantees higher efficacy. Certainly, you know, Pfizer said that the early tests were showing 90% efficacy. So this obviously we did conduct this before that. But, you know, other other data we were um, measuring earlier on about the vaccine, you know, shows that there is a segment of the population who are a little resistant to it, whether they don't want to be the first to receive it or, you know, have some concerns over vaccinations, um, you know, there's various motivations. Even as the vaccines become approved, they start to get distributed and, and utilized and inoculated. It's going to take a while to get to that 70% herd immunity number that experts talk about. And so in that period of time, and by the way, that's still 70%, not 100%, right? So it sounds like from your research that people are going to continue to want to put these protocols in place. They're going to continue to want to use social distancing and sanitizing, face masks we'll see. Um, but a lot of the uh, measures that you saw people getting comfort around seem to be here for a while. They're not going to go away early next year. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think think other um, you know news outlets and all have, have talked about that as well, that those these kinds of activities we've seen of, of needing to maintain distance, wearing masks, sanitizing our hands, washing our hands frequently will have will remain in place potentially through, you know, 2022. So, you know, the, the longer we operate under some of these um, conditions, the more some innovations that we've seen companies be able to do around this 
uh, will stick around a little yeah. longer. Yeah, interesting. So if I just think about this, this conversation and the research that you've found, talk to a lot of people across the U.S., got a representative picture of what people are feeling in the U.S., and there's a lot of anxiety. There's obviously anxiety around the pandemic. There's anxiety around violence. There's anxiety around jobs and economic situations. So there's a broad set of anxiety out there. Pools, workplaces, ticketed venues, sports and entertainment type places want to open and want to help out, but they're dealing with, you know, how do we deal with that anxiety, right? How do we deal with the real risks, public health risks, physical security risks, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of money and they need to sort of be brought back online. And so there was a good sort of path you, you, you found there, which is being able to put measures in place, some screening measures around both physical security and weapons and COVID with thermal cameras and those pro putting protocols in place around sanitizing and face masks. Um, and then I think communicating that, right? So people, consumers understand that. Um, you used your personal story about, you know, talking to other people. And if somebody goes and does it, then, you know, it's, it's, it works and it's not so bad. And you actually can go, you know, enjoy the museum or go back to school or go into the office, right? But having a clear set of protocols and then communicating those protocols as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about that even in the travel industry, right? There are a lot of people who are, are frightened, frankly, to get on a plane. And there's concerns around, you know, the, the air filtration in, in the planes and things like that. And then, you know, we, we talked a lot about, again, like showing personal consumer stories. Maybe folks are posting on Instagram about their experience, uh, you know, flying on an airplane. And, and certainly I have, you know, some friends who, who have gone back to travel for, for work as well. And hearing their stories, like, like I said, is, is, is powerful enough to get people to come back. And, and I think that's actually also um, something similar to that in the data around the, the COVID-19 vaccine is that actually the, the more familiar people are with the virus, if they know someone who contracted the virus or had personal experience with it, they're actually more likely to get the vaccine than those who have not had any kind of interaction with, with someone who experienced the virus. Yeah. And as I look through the data, you know, one of the things that I saw relative to security screening, which I, I know pretty well and talked to a lot of people about, was the old way is not going to work in the future, right? That people just don't want to do it. They don't want that close proximity with the security staff. They don't want the lines that tends to come with it and the risk there. It just the old way of doing security screening is not going to work in the future. And they need to think about things like touchless security or touchless screening was exactly sort of how you framed it. And we saw people that are interested in, in doing that as they go touchless in other areas of their life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think uh, there is certainly something to the, the um, idea of the current um, security screening process and, and seeing it and feeling comfort in that process. But, but as we've described, it, it can't exactly exist exactly as it has been because of the concerns around um, the lines and social distancing needs. Great. Well, this has been very interesting, uh, getting a pulse on, on people in the U.S. and how they're feeling and the kinds of things that need to be in place for them to come back, to come back to ticketed venues, to come back to workplaces, to have their kids go to schools. It's been really insightful and data-driven, which is really what we're looking for. One question for you, Erica, in closing, and I ask this to all of the guests on our show, is 
As you think about some of the many changes in the COVID environment, what do you think will last beyond? There will be a point when we are past COVID, um, hopefully sooner than later, but then we will reach that point. But what do you think will sustain or endure past this COVID period that we're in? Yeah, yeah. And and as I said earlier, I think the, the longer, you know, when we all thought, oh, we're only going to be in this for three months, uh, how how silly we were to think that in the beginning. But, you know, the longer it lasts, the more we realize it's a year, it could be two years that we're operating in some capacity like this. You know, you can see the staying power of some of some changes. And, you know, I, I spoke with um, some clients who are in, uh, you know, the, the tech industry, actually, and talking about how they've supported even, um, you know, small like mom and pop local restaurants who maybe before all they had from a digital perspective was a static website where you could find maybe maybe their menu and their you know and their number to contact them to order all over the phone. Now they have essentially an e-commerce platform, right? You have the ability to uh, order online and place that order. As we said, the the con- maybe it's contact delivery or contact pick pickup um, options. And so it you know that is something that. COVID-19 was sort of a catalyst to get those folks, um, you know, more advanced in the digital age. And I think some of those behaviors around maybe not always going into the restaurant, but but picking up or getting delivery are, are some that it was a trend that was probably happening, but certainly accelerated because of this. And I think we'll see um, some of that digital behavior for local and smaller businesses to remain um, and I also think, again, this is also in some ways related to my personal experience because I have children who are at home doing education at home with the public school system here. And I've spoken with a lot of clients who are in you know, the education space who have developed different um, online education platforms to facilitate the online learning that's going, going on either in the public school systems or or even even for um, private education, and I think a lot of the some elements of those platforms and that technology will absolutely continue to exist. And I have to say, it certainly has prepared my children for the business world. They're they're going to be great with Zoom calls. The Zoomers, yeah, I know. <laughs> Boy, my kids were help on Zoom when things get stuck. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. I mean, that is you know as we see it. This is called Digital Threshold Live, and we see the digitization of a lot of aspects of our customers' business, including security. And it's it's very interesting to see the COVID environment catalyze the digitization of very many aspects of, of how places are operating. Absolutely. Good. Well, thank you, Erica. It's been really insightful. It's been very informative, and it's been a, it's been a pulse on what people are thinking out there. And it's been really helpful uh, to share your insights. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And for each of you, I want to thank you for the work you're doing to keep people safe and continuing finding ways to enhance their visitor experience as they come through. I mean, it's really important to balance those things. And that's that's one of the consistent themes that I hear as I talk to folks out there. So please stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you.